The Nekba is ongoing. Colonial violence has never ceased, only been exacerbated. Deadly onslaught on Gaza killed more than 30 Palestinians, including several children. You can actually hear the crickets. Most of the people in Gaza are refugees from the Nekba. People are being bombed by the entity that stole their home 75 years ago. The entity which jails them, keeps them caged and under siege, is the same entity which stole their parents and grandparents home 75 years ago. Israeli official said that we shouldn't even ask the question of how many children we kill. It's not a relevant question. And that's a direct quote from the people who are dropping American-made bombs on us in Gaza. And everybody seems to be like, I think just keep the checks coming. Worried about blood libel, but you won't stop killing children. Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for decolonization, justice, and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Laura E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gaz and Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and you can call me Mikey Intifada. If you are worried about blood libel, but you won't stop killing children. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes, an additional podcast per week. It's called the Patreon Pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine pop culture and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash Palestine pod. We've been off for like two weeks and we've come back to, on the one hand, the 75th anniversary of the Nekba. And on the other hand, deadly onslaught on Gaza that lasted for several days and has killed more than 30 Palestinians, including several children. You can actually hear the crickets. You know, it's a number that's less than the other numbers. It's less than May 2021. It's less than Operation Cast Lead. It's less than the other number of Israeli assaults on Gaza. And so because it's less than these other instances of colonial violence, it's somehow invisible. There was almost no reaction from the international community. And it's very painful as a Palestinian to sit here and watch this happen. But Israeli impunity is thriving in this moment. And I don't know what to say, except that we're 75 years to the day from the beginning of the Nakba. The Nekba, as we've always mentioned on the Palestine pod, is ongoing. The colonial violence has never ceased. It's, in fact, only been exacerbated. And when I think about the fact that most of the people in Gaza are refugees from the Nekba, and it's something that most people don't even realize when they hear that people in Gaza are being bombed, they don't even realize that those people are being bombed by the entity that stole their home 75 years ago. And I keep repeating it because I think it's worth repeating to know that the entity which jails them, which bombs them, which keeps them caged and under siege is the same entity which stole their grandparents' home 75 years ago and which is currently sitting on top of their homes. It's worth repeating because it gives you just a beginning of insight into who are these people in Gaza and what are their grievances? Why are they upset? What do they feel like? What are their lives like? What, it, what, what is their family history like? And then to know that as they're being bombed while they sleep and families are being taken out together with some families having left orphans, 
like that video that circulated of the girl who arrived at Shifa Hospital, who must have been like six or seven years old, and was just screaming anxious for her father, saying, I want my father, I want my father. And what does the the man who's taking the video say? He said, your father's coming, he's on his way. Baba jai, hala biji baba. And I sat there watching that video thinking to myself, how many Palestinian children have been told the lie that their parents are on their way and they're coming when in reality their parents were massacred by Israel? And it's more children than should ever have to hear that. And now I'm sitting here thinking, what's going to happen to this girl? She's now an orphan. And sure, all of Gaza will probably step up to take care of her. And she'll be she'll go live with an auntie or an uncle. She won't be alone. Like I, I you know, our community will band together in moments of deep trauma like this. But why should she have to go through this? And why should the response to the crime that has taken her parents away from her be silence on the international stage? Easily just take out 30 people, including children, including entire families. Why not? Who's going to stop them? It doesn't matter. According to them, it doesn't matter. A top Israeli official said that it, we shouldn't even ask the question of how many children we kill. It's not a relevant question. And that's a direct quote from the people who are dropping American made bombs on us in Gaza. They say that they, it doesn't matter how many children they kill. So what more does the international community need before it steps up to prevent Israel from these crimes? I don't understand. I don't know what else you would need. We all agree that massacring children in their sleep is wrong, but Israel is doing it and has been doing it and is doing it every year. Really makes you wonder what is a relevant question. Hey, so at what point are we like, okay, well, that's kind of scary language, huh? That's coming out pretty consistently every single day from an entire society. What should we do? And everybody seems to be like, I think just keep the checks coming. Doesn't feel good. I saw somebody tweet a thousand people march in Tel Aviv against Gaza assault, a thousand people. Now compare that to how many people came out for the so-called democracy protests. Everybody was really excited to support democracy, but that same energy could not be maintained a few weeks later when the government that they are allegedly just desperate to keep democratic engaged in a murderous onslaught of children while they slept. Children who are caged by that same entity that doesn't let them leave. Children whose parents and grandparents were displaced from the land on which that entity sits. You have to occupy a very twisted mental space to think that you are this great democracy activist because you go out for those democracy protests. But then a few weeks later, when your government is murdering people, families in Gaza, making children orphans, you're like, you know, I'm good, not my problem, but democracy. And the news coming out of the occupied West Bank wasn't any better during this time. Over the past week, the occupation also killed seven Palestinians in different incidents across the occupied West Bank, including 66-year-old Ghazi Shihab, who was shot in the abdomen by occupation soldiers in Nur Shams. And relatives of Ghazi said that soldiers prevented an ambulance from reaching him for 30 minutes, which is par for the course. It's just what they do. They first shoot to injure severely or kill, and then they prevent the ambulance from actually reaching the person in, in, in the West Bank. There's a story that I heard about of a crazed Israeli woman was shot by occupation forces. Yeah, we thought she was a Palestinian. Said yeah. she, she was Palestinian. 
Then they realized she was Israeli. And then they described her as a crazed Israeli woman. And I was like, isn't that just an Israeli woman? <laughs> that was like the best joke. But it's just like a, another incident in, in a history of incidents of friendly fire because they're so trigger happy, right? They're so violent that they end up murdering their own people. Whatever she was trying to do, right. she was trying to make it seem like it was Palestinians right. who were doing it. Right. She was trying to cloak herself with garments to commit an act of terrorism. Right. And then, like, the from their trigger right? happy. An act of terrorism well, yeah. from their perspective, right? Well, yeah. I mean, she's Israeli, so it's an act of terrorism, right. regardless of what she's wearing. <laughs> trying to do things that would make Palestinians look bad in the media. Yeah. Right. She was hoping she would get away with it. What happened is she got murdered by the bloodthirsty occupation army and then they were like big whoopsie because she's actually one of us yeah so like they were upset that they murdered somebody who had in tried to infiltrate palestinian culture whoops that's a mistake we should have hired her because that's what they do they honestly they try to infiltrate palestinian culture and then they go into the city center of Janine yep. and they just start shooting random civilians. Yep. And they are like in the videos. Yep. And and they're always dressed up in like the worst, like fake is Muslim garb. It just looks so fake. It looks so fake that Palestinians can spot them out. And they're like, oh, there they are. It's like they I don't know who's like telling them what to wear, but it's like they're watching like episodes of like 24 or homeland or whatever those shows are and they're like oh that's what they dress like you know also spot them because they have bad haircuts and palestinians don't <laughs> yes janaya told us that hamid al-kurd tweeted though this ongoing catastrophe feels relentless it is important to note that it is not inevitable it is it has a culprit zionism and to talk about the nekba one must talk about zionism and he penned an essay along these lines for the nation, Reflections on the 75th Anniversary of a Nekba That Never Ended. So check that out. Palestine Action also took over a Newcastle factory owned by Israeli weapons company Rafael. And they have announced that actions will not end until the Nekba does. Shout That's... out Palestine Action. Definitely check them out. Donate them. Support them. They are on the ground doing the heavy lifting when it comes to confronting the occupation's military presence in the UK. Honestly, the heaviest lifting that you can do outside of Palestine. Truly. And we're not suggesting you go to Palestine. <laughs> we are not. <laughs> but if you do, then position yourselves in between a Palestinian and a soldier, for sure. People have done that before. Yeah, unless you're also Palestinian, in which case... Do not do that. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> that only applies to you if you are Jewish, I believe. <laughs> and sometimes not even that. Be careful. There's that famous video of, of like, uh, you know, an American Jew holding his passport up in Palestine, you know, mm -hmm. and he's like, I support... I support the Palestinians and the occupation forces come over and they just start beating the shit out of this kid. Like this kid had no idea what he was walking into, but you love the energy. He's like, they, he, he's like, I'm an American. They take his American passport. They start hitting him with it. You know what I mean? It's good old. And this was like, you know, early 2000s. I remember this kid really thinks his American passport is about to be like a damn American, the Captain America shield. Right. He thinks it's impossible for anything to happen for. They grab the well, passport. They just start beating the shit out of this kid. <laughs> and, they, and he's 
Jewish. He's Jewish. He's white. He's American. He's That's Jewish. the thing. That's the thing. Because it's like the blue passport doesn't matter at all. And we know this because when you're Palestinian, you have it. It just doesn't do anything. So I would think that it would be more relevant for him to say he's Jewish, but he did. That also oh, did yeah. nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> the kid is wearing a yarmulke and they, it falls off because they're hitting him in okay. the head. They don't care. He's Jewish. As soon as he said Palestine, they were like, beep, bop, boop. It's a classic video that helped me realize that I was being lied to. Yeah, because if you're beating up Jews, then, and you're claiming to represent Jews, then maybe you're not. <laughs> That's a very polite way of saying that. <laughs> that is, that is, I would dare say, diplomatic. Yeah. Also, if you're murdering Palestinians and claiming it's for Judaism, maybe not. <laughs> It's a necessary statement, right? Because they still get out there every day and act like they are the official representative of Jews. I know. It's crazy. Ivan Papi wrote a great article for the Middle East Eye on the Nekba. And so if you need a Nekba refresher, I highly recommend you go check it out. It was called, It's called Palestine Was Destroyed 12 Months, but the Nekba has gone on for 75 years. And he provides a lot of really important historical context to the Nekba and how it came about uh, in 1948. And I maybe I'll just share a couple lines from it. Professor Elon Papi writes, at the beginning of February 1947, the British cabinet decided to end the mandate over Palestine and leave the country after nearly 30 years of rule. The economic crisis in Britain following the Second World War brought a labor government to power, which was willing to shrink the empire and cater for the needs of the people of the British Isles. Palestine proved to be a burden and no longer an asset, as both the native Palestinians and the Zionist settlers were now fighting against the British mandate and demanding its end. The die was cast in a meeting on February 1st, 1947, and the fate of Palestine was entrusted to the UN, an inexperienced international organization back then, already affected by the onset of the Cold War between the US and the USSR. Nonetheless, the two superpowers consented exceptionally to allow other member states to offer a solution to what was called the Palestine question without their interference. Eventually, the discussion about Palestine's future was transferred to the UN Special Committee on Palestine, made up of member states. Nobody in the Arab world would have agreed to allow European settlers in North Africa to take part in determining the future of newly independent countries. Similarly, the Palestinians rejected the idea that the settler Zionist movement, consisting mostly of settlers who had arrived just two years before the UN Palestine Refugee Agency was appointed in 1949, would have a say in the future of their homeland. This is me talking now. The settlers arrived mostly two years before UNRWA was appointed in 1949. And all of a sudden, they're in discussions about what should happen to this place where they've just arrived. And should they have ownership over it in some way? And I don't think most people realize that most settlers didn't arrive until the 1940s. I think there's a lot of the times in the Zionist propaganda, you'll hear, oh, but we were here. No, we were here since the 1800s. We were here since even before that. No, no, no. My family's actually been here for 10 generations. Okay, maybe yours has, but most were not. He goes on to speak about how in recent years, an old definition of Zionism as a settler colonial movement was revived by scholars researching the history of Palestine. This would clearly explain why the Zionist leadership could never have accepted a partitioned Palestine. Like any other settler colonial movement, it was a movement of Europeans who were outcasts in that continent and had to make a new life for themselves elsewhere, usually in places inhabited by other people. The need to eliminate indigenous people became the hallmark of such movements, leading, for instance, to the genocide of Native Americans in North America. The Zionist leadership began planning for ethnic cleansing in February 1947, and early operations took place already a year 
under the noses of British mandatory authorities. The Zionist leadership needed to rush through its ethnic cleansing operations against the Palestinians in February 1948, starting with the forceful eviction of three villages on the coast between Yaffa and Haifa. The first thing the Zionists did was establish facts on the ground even before the official end of the mandate, which was due to end on the 15th of May 1948. This meant cleansing Palestinians from the areas allocated by the UN for the Jewish state, as well as taking over as many towns of Palestine as possible. Almost all Palestinians living in Haifa and Yaffa were forcefully removed from their homes, and the towns of Bisan, Safad, and Akka were completely depopulated. The villages around them suffered a similar fate. In the area around the western slopes of the Jerusalem mountains, tens of villages were ethnically cleansed, and at times, as unfolded in Deir Yassin on April 9, 1948, the expulsions were accompanied by massacres. The operation in the Upper Galilee, in particular, recorded some of the worst atrocities committed by the Israeli army during the Nakba, partly because of the fierce resistance of the people who already knew the fate awaiting them under the Israeli occupation, and partly due to the fatigue of the occupying forces who dispensed with any previous inhibitions in the way they treated the civilians. In the massacre, at El Dawaima near Hebron on October 29, 1948, it's estimated that 455 Palestinians, half of them women and children, were executed by Israeli soldiers. This far exceeds what we even. Hey, 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 hey. <clears throat> Don't call them Israeli soldiers. What's in here? And I'm wondering. They were, they were the Haganah or oh. Zionist militias. Yes, it was. It was like Israeli soldiers, but they had only been Israeli soldiers for like four months. That's, but that's the thing. It's like it was made up overnight. We're Israeli now. Yeah. What's that? I don't know. We just invented it. It's the same guys who've been killing us for the last two years. What the fuck? Yeah. We have a different name now. New uniform just dropped. I wonder how they blasted their genocide announcements in the 40s, right? Because right now they do it by like announcing it on Twitter. Palestinian villages <laughs> would tell other Palestinian villages and that people would get news from neighboring villages saying that this village was attacked, so they're coming. And so that's how people ended up fleeing because the colonial violence had reached them or had reached the neighboring village. The Zionist militias had what were called village files, which was basically just early intelligence on the amount of Palestinians in each village, the number of cattle, what their farms looked like, what type of crops they grew, how many men there were. They were always very interested, even from the very beginning of men ages, like 13 to 50 or so because they were worried about anybody who could resist them. So they had all that information and then they just started murdering people village by village. I want to shout out Tarek Bekri who has this project centered around the Nekba where he collects photos and interviews and tries to show what Palestine looked like before the Nekba and after the Nekba. Lisa I also published an article highlighting some of his work in this area. I just want to give a couple of examples because I think it's super devastating and also interesting to hear concretely what has happened. The Alhambra Cinema, which he shows a picture of in 1937, was one of several Palestinian cinemas in Yaffa. It is now used by the Church of Scientology. And he has two photos, one of the cinema in the 30s and the same building today you can see it literally says Church of Scientology. He also shows pictures of Zionist looting houses in the Palestinian neighborhood of Musrara in Jerusalem. It's one of the oldest neighborhoods built outside of the old city walls in the 1860s. That was just a picture from yesterday. He also shows Zionists looting Palestinian houses, literally walking out with furniture in Ayn Karam village. There's like four Zionists holding a bed frame. It's very awkward. It's crazy how Zionists stole everything from Palestinians and still don't have swag. I know, right? But that's, you know, there's some things you can't. 
steal Michael. The train station. <laughs> they are. He Tarek also shows the train station. The Yaffa to Jerusalem Railway was built in 1892 during the Ottoman Empire. It was named the Tel Aviv Jerusalem Railway after the Nekba. Oh, there's a great Instagram page called Refugee Chronicles. And it's first person Nekba survivors who tell like in Arabic testimony of what they, they remember from the Nekba. Um, I highly recommend you check it out. The official Israel account tweeted, it's our 75th birthday. Which moment from Israeli history lives rent-free in your head? Let us know. Israel 75. It is so awkward. The personality, like the online personality that it, Israel has. Isn't that weird? They're like, we are 75 years old. And that's why we are tweeting like a teenager. We tweet like a 21-year-old white woman at Erewhon. That's why we're 75. Which moment from Israeli history lives rent-free in your head? Like, okay, are they just tweet? Like, are they just looking up? Like, Oh, what I would twi- say uh, the moments where you stole all of those houses and now live rent-free in them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Somebody wrote back the Nekba. Like, it is weird. They love, they love living rent-free anywhere. They're like, we'll live anywhere, even if it's in your head. colonize your brain if we can actually yes Uh, get you to do our bidding you start saying things like they have a right to defend themselves it's like okay you've been you've been colonized in the brain they're living rent free in there huh (laughs) what are they what are they playing palestinian music in there wearing palestinian clothing in there a crazed israeli woman was shot in my brain (laughs) (laughs) oh wow Apparently, the United Nations hosted a commemoration of the 75th anniversary of the Nekba at the UN headquarters for the first time. Better late than never, I suppose. For the first time. I'd like a little bit more context as to where they've been for the last 74 years. I think pretty much the same location. There was also Dr. Nora Erekat and Representative Rashida Tlaib who were scheduled to do a Nekba education event that involved speakers, involved music, Palestinian culture, and it was canceled by House Speaker McCarthy, probably at the behest of Zionist lobbies, because they know that the more people learn about Palestinians, the less likely they are to keep up this charade of sending billions of dollars to murder children. And it's like, they've got a really nice gravy train going, and all they need to do is limit the amount of exposure Palestinians get to the American public. So that's why you see this huge, you know, whack-a-mole race to just, like, shut up as many Palestinians as possible. It's impossible, because the thing is, you know, they expelled 750,000 Palestinians like to fuck. So there's a lot now, and uh, they're everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, the end of that story is that Senator Bernie Sanders helped make sure that the event actually took place because, wow, yeah, Speaker of the House McCarthy blocked them from having the event at the Capitol, but they went over to the Senate side and Bernie Sanders hosted them. Look at that, huh? Connections between Jews and Palestinians. It's almost as if we're being fed a crock of shit by Zionist lobbies. There's an article on the Jerusalem Post like, 
we really hope that this this event doesn't take place and that Bernie Sanders doesn't help them like have this event. And it's like Bernie Sanders, you mean like one of the few American Jewish elected representatives? That's who you're yeah. trying to position yourself against? Also, it's like, hey, just text him at that point, right? Because you sound desperate writing an op-ed. Let me read you this from the Secretary General of the Arab League, May 15th, 1948. The name is Azam Pasha. The governments of Arab states hereby confirm that the only fair and just solution to the problem of Palestine is the creation of the United State of Palestine based on democratic principles, which will enable all its inhabitants to enjoy equality before the law, and which would guarantee all minorities the safeguards provided for in a democratic constitutional state affording at the same time, full protection and free access to holy places. The Arab states emphatically and repeatedly declare that their intervention in Palestine has been prompted solely by the considerations and for the aims set out above, and they are not inspired by any other motive whatsoever. So it's like, even in 1948, they were already calling them anti-Semites. That's crazy that the playbook has been the same for that long like as a comedian write new material okay it's disgusting this uh came from muhammad shahada who is a palestinian reporter and then jordan's king met twice with golda Meir, who actually had a different name her name was something else before her original name was golda mabovich and then she changed it to huh. golda Meir. Because she wanted to sound more of the region, she recognized that she was a foreigner and she tried she... to assimilate to fit in. She tried to like cloak herself in like a Arabish or, you know, like Palestinian at the time sounding name. Mabovich. She was you. She's from what is now Ukraine. Is Wayne Brady going to have the Mabovich? Jordan's king met twice with Golda Meir in 1947-1948. Each time he offered to give Jews in Palestine full autonomy under his rule with full equal rights. But Meir rejected. Even then, he instructed his troops not to attack the parts of Mandate Palestine designated for Jews. The head of the Arab Liberation Army <laughs> met with Zionist leaders and offered them full equality and citizenship under his rule. Josh Palman from the Jewish Agency attested that, quote, I'm sure Jews would have done good business under him. Other Zionist leaders rejected it. Eleven years before the Nekba, David Ben-Gurion explained to his son that partition was just a way to capture all of Palestine. Quote, the establishment of a state, even if only on a portion of the land, is a powerful boost to our historical endeavors to liberate the entire country. This is in a 1937 letter to his son, Amos, where he says, My assumption, which is why I am a fervent proponent of a state, even though it is now linked to a partition, is that a Jewish state on only part of the land is not the end, but the beginning. This is because this increase in possession is of consequence not only in itself, but because through it we increase our strength, we and every increase in strength helps in the possession of the land as a whole. The establishment of a state, even if only on a portion of the land, is the maximal reinforcement 
of our strength at the present time and a powerful boost to our historical endeavors to liberate the entire country. David Ben-Gurion, 1937, 10 to 11 years before. He's talking about taking the whole thing, whole everything. He's talking about taking it all in a letter to his son, which was the equivalent of an Andrew Tate podcast back then. Okay, folks, that has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Check out our full episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And check for us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. That's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. Later. Thanks very much. Thank you. I'll send this to you bye. right now. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. That is one thing that Palestinians understand is that like if you keep people alive, you can give them back in exchange for stuff. Zionists don't really get that. Yeah, I know, right? It's actually really true and hilarious. Palestinians understand the value of human life. So they're like, oh yeah, we could trade this for something. Yeah. Zionists are like, ah, we accidentally deleted like six people, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah. If we did, it didn't even matter. Yep, exactly.